Today is a uh, special service for us that we are doing a child dedication. At least that's what we call it. A baby dedication is what we usually call it. We did change it a, sp- a little bit because we recognize that uh, we are going to be dedicating a few children today that are not babies anymore, uh, which is fine. That's, that's great. Um, but I think it should be stated from the outset because otherwise none of what we're going to go through this morning, none of my message is going to make any sense. I think it should be stated from the outset that we are not actually so much interested in, uh, or this is not so much a baby dedication as it is, or a child dedication as it is a parent dedication. What we're really doing is we're dedicating the parents because it's the parents who are going to stand in front of us today and say, I'm committing to some things with this child that I have up here. That's really what we're interested in. And if I may be so bold, I think we can get even more specific than that. Because I think we can get specific enough to say that we are interested, or the commitment that's going to be made, or the dedication we're we're about, is that we are interested in making sure that the faith in Jesus Christ gets passed along to the children that are up here on stage. Right? There's a very specific intent. We're not just coming up here and saying, well, we want to dedicate our children because we think it's, you know, a culturally appropriate thing to do, or we think it's the thing, that, now I hope this is not why you're doing it, but we think it's the thing that our church has always done, so when you have a baby, you dedicate it to God, because that, I, I, there must be some reason why, right? Or even just to say that, well, I really want my child to grow up successful, and to have good morals, and to, uh, to, to be a contributor to society, and to do that, I think it makes sense to dedicate this child. I think, with your permission this morning, And I'm speaking specifically on those that are going to be bringing children up here. Uh, But uh, with your permission, I'm going to get a lot more specific than that. Because the actual intent is that I'm dedicating my child because I want them someday to, of their own free will, say, I choose Jesus. And I follow after him. I choose to be faithful to God like my mom and dad were. That's what we're really after. So this morning, my message is is uh, geared that direction. Let me start off this morning by reading the first eight verses of Psalm 78, which I think encapsulates beautifully the things I just said. Psalm 78. Give ear, to, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them and the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. That's the way that the psalmist opens up Psalm 78, and I think encapsulates the reason why we're here today, the point of our service today. In fact, there's a lot of things you, I, I thought about teaching my entire message out of this text, because there's a lot of things here we can glean, right? I love the twofold thing that you're going to see coming out even in, in what we do, uh, uh, do uh, go to this morning. But there's a twofold thing coming. God, if you look at this, he's established a testimony and he's appointed a law. Parents, you who are going to dedicate your children today, all of you parents, there's something to be said there. He's established a testimony and appointed a law. And I think it's in those two guidelines that you will find successful biblical parenting. The testimony of what God has done and the law that God has given. The the requirements of what it looks like to walk faithfully before God and coupled with the testimony of how you found that to be the best way in your own life. Did you catch that? The requirements of what God has asked of you to walk faithfully according to him needs to be shared. Don't let that slip away. But don't let that be the only thing. The testimony of how you've seen that to be the best way for God. And, and just, it's, just, it's in here, right? I'm going to tell you, the psalmist says, of things that we've heard that our fathers told us. And we want that to be shared so that your children can know them and their children after them yet too. 
passed on down the line. If I could really phrase it this way, this is where I want to get to this morning. If I could really phrase it this way, what we're interested in is that there is a transmitting of the gospel from generation to generation. A transmitting of faith in God from generation to generation. That's why we're here this morning. That's what these parents who are going to walk up here before too long and hold some children or maybe they're going to be standing beside them and they're going to answer some questions. They're going to say, this is what I'm committing to do. That's why they're standing up here is because they have an interest in making sure that their faith gets passed from one generation to the next. That, that should happen is clear from Scripture. Let me just briefly illustrate. We're not going to spend much time with these, but it's clear from Scripture. Deuteronomy 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 9, God says right up front as he calls the, 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 the children of Israel and, he, and he's gathering them into a nation, he's forming them into a nation, and he's giving them their instructions and their marching orders and all those kinds of things. He says this, only take care and keep your soul diligently, talking to the adults, take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And then he says, make them known to your children and your children's children. Just a couple chapters later, this verse is very familiar. I know you heard that while I was gone on sabbatical, as Chris preached through. I think it was actually the only time you heard it. I think Joe mentioned it in one of his sermons as well. Um, you're going to hear it again later today when we actually do the dedication. But Deuteronomy chapter 6 says God is in the midst of uh, telling, uh, as Moses is in the midst of telling on God's behalf, the people of Israel, how to follow God and what it looks like. He says this, there's rules and laws, and here they are, and you shall teach those things diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, every part of your day, every facet of your day. When we look to the minor prophets in, in, in the Bible and we go to the very end of the Old Testament to the minor prophet of Malachi and God through Malachi brings some things, that some, some beefs that he has, as we would phrase it today, some beefs that he has with the children of Israel. He says, I have a couple of complaints to register with, register with you. One of those complaints, imagine this, one of those complaints is that husbands and wives are getting divorced and no longer staying together. And God says, I'm not a big fan of that. But in the middle of that discussion, as he says that, he actually says this. He says, he asks a question through Malachi. Did God not make them one, a husband and wife, make them one with a portion of the Spirit in the union? In other words, was God saying, was I not present in the union that's been, that, that comes to place when a husband and wife come together? Was, was I not present? Was my Holy Spirit not present in that? And then he asks another question. What was God seeking by doing that? Why did God bring husband and wife together? Why was he part of making them one? What was God interested in? And then he answers the question with two words. Interesting, isn't it? Godly offspring. That's what God was interested in. Now, I want to be very clear about something. Because sometimes, well, I just had a conversation before church with a couple that a day like today can be kind of painful. And sometimes there's people sitting here who hear these kinds of things and hear preachers go on and on about all these kinds of things, about how children are a blessing and how, we're, how this, that, that's what God is interested in. He says, be fruitful and multiply, all of which is true because it's in the Bible. But it's not always within your control, is it? So you don't always get to have children or you don't always get to keep the children that you have or that God gave you. So my message, none of that is about this, that you should in any way walk away feeling bad if God chose the direction of your life to not involve children. That doesn't make you less of a husband or wife or less of a person or less of a useful tool in God's kingdom. My message is simply for those that God has chosen to give children to. The mandate is clear in Scripture. God is interested in godly offspring from you. In other words, it's not a question of whether you should have offspring or not. That's not what we're trying to get around. We're getting at if God gave you offspring, it's clear that he gave it to you for a reason, and he wants to accomplish something with that. He wants them to be godly. He wants them to receive the same faith that you yourself have. Moving to the New Testament, it's clear from Paul's instructions to fathers. He says, fathers, you shouldn't provoke your children to anger, but you should bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You should be willing to pass along your faith. You should be interested. In fact, I think Paul is suggesting, he's addressing fathers, and he's saying, this should be of the utmost of importance to you, that you pass along your faith. We sometimes get these priorities out of, out of whack because we sometimes think there are other things more important or more necessary for us to be spending time doing for our families. I would 
proposed to you scripture indicates that the most important thing that you, dad, and you, mom, should be interested in for your family's well-being and sake is to pass along the faith to them. Even more than some other things that we tend to put up there, right? Like providing a really nice house for them or making sure they have all their other needs met or making sure that they get to participate in every opportunity they want to or making sure that they get the best of the best of all other things. If you really want to give them the best of the best, well, Scripture is very clear. The best of the best is Jesus. So you should give them Jesus. I'm pretty sure when I taught through 1 Thessalonians, just before going on sabbatical, I made these points, so I'm not going to make them today uh, again. But Paul actually uses fathers and mothers and the passing of the faith through fathers and mothers to their children as a parallel for how he brought the gospel to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, We were gentle among you, referring to himself and his cohorts, his companions. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. That sounds like parent kind of stuff right there. You remember our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and we encourage you and we charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the role of parents. To, to transmit the gospel or the faith down to their children. Now, Another way of looking at this kind of transmission, I think, is to recognize that it's a transition, right? There's a transition of, of knowledge. There's a transition of, uh, of headship, if you will, because your children are going to grow up, and someday you will be passing on. You're going to be moving on. If you want this to go to your children and your children's children and on and on, there's a, there's a transition of some kind taking place. So I thought what might help us today more than anything else, which is why I have these weird things up here and I, I, the stage looks a little different. Um, I thought it might be fun for us to just spend time with a story that's in the Bible that involves transition. It involves a transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua. It involves a transition of a people from a people that are wandering to a people that are going into the promised land. It involves a transition of faith. One generation picking up the faith that was their, their, their forefathers' faith and making sure that they were going to be part of that transition. Now, it's, it's, we can't tell the whole story and all the details, but I want to focus on one part, for, and you'll see why, I think, as we go through. But, of course, I'm telling the story of the children of Israel. If you want to follow along, I'm not going to be reading Scripture to you this morning necessarily. I'm going to be trying to do my best to tell the story in an engaging way that's faithful to the Scriptures. If you want to check up on that or follow, Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4 are really where the heart of our story comes from today. You can, you're certainly welcome to have your, in fact, I would encourage you, have your Bibles open and you can be looking at Joshua 3 and 4. And better yet, sometime, not this morning when I'm, when I'm preaching, hopefully, but you can do it now too if you really want to, uh, read through Joshua 3 and 4. Take some time yourself to read through and, and, and read through the things that we talk about this morning. Now, to get us set in the story, you know that the children of Israel were a people that God had called through Abraham and then through Isaac and then through Jacob. He called them and said, I want to bless you and make you a nation so that you can be a blessing to those around you. And as he called them out, we know that as the story goes, uh, Jacob had a son, Joseph. His son, Joseph, went to Egypt. It was by God's providence. There's a whole fantastic story that we're not going to be able to tell this morning. But by God's providence, sent, Jacob, or sent Joseph on ahead so that he might preserve the people of Israel. The entire family moved down. And out of that family that moved into Egypt, a nation sprung forth, right? A nation came forth. People were born, and they began to, 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 to fill the land, so much so that the Egyptians began to fear them. Pharaoh especially began to fear them, for he saw success in everything they did. So he began to oppress them, and he made them slaves. And out of this deep slavery and this, this dark oppression, they cried out to God and said, God, we thought we're your people. And God answered that call. He sent a man named Moses. You know all these things. But Moses, who came to them as, as the deliverer from God, as the one from God that they should listen to, he came and he spoke powerfully, even though he said he couldn't speak. He spoke powerfully to Pharaoh, and God worked powerfully, miraculously, right? You read about the plagues. You can read about this in the book of Exodus. You read about the plagues, how God revealed who he was so strongly to the, to the people of Israel and to the Egyptians, right? 
And then on that, that penultimate, or that, that, that climactic moment when the first Passover was celebrated and the firstborn of all the people of Egypt died, except for Israel's firstborn all lived. And it brought it to the head where they said, the Egyptians themselves said, get out of here, leave. We don't want you to stay. In fact, we'll give you all our stuff as you go. And they did. But as God led them, he led them to a place where suddenly they were, they were trapped, so to speak, because the Egyptian army did take up pursuit and they come to the Red Sea. And they have their backs not against the wall, but against water, against a, a, a different kind of wall, right? And the army's approaching and the water's behind them. And God says, if you will just stand, you will see me deliver you. And he does exactly that. Moses speaks to the waters, raises his staff, and the waters part and they walk through in dry ground. The waters come back over all Egypt. So you know all these stories. But then you have a group of people who has been wandering it's been wandering for 40 years because as soon as they came through that water, despite the incredible ways that God revealed himself. Now listen, I, I just encourage you, don't get, in the, don't, don't get caught up right away in pointing fingers at these people, but see yourself in the story. Because despite all the wonderful ways that God had just demonstrated how powerful he was and how fitting and able for saving them he was and what a great salvation he worked, what did they do? They began to murmur and complain. They began to wonder, wouldn't life be better back in Egypt? Who is this Moses guy? Why would you do things this way? They began to have all, despite God's ongoing miraculous provision, right? Manna from heaven, water from a rock, and they wandered on. But the, but the capstone of all that was when they came to the southern end of the territory, the promised land that God was going to lead them to. And they sent spies to spy it out. And they come back and they say, we'll never be able to do it. We'll never be able to do it. And God said, this is all, I, this, I don't, can't take too much time here. This is, that God said, then you won't do it. You will wander for 40 years and not a single one of you from your generation will reach the promised land. So they wandered and wandered and wandered and wandered and wandered. And finally, where we come to today, they find themselves now on the eastern side of the promised land. They were in the southern side before. They wandered around. They did a couple circles around here. I don't know what all they did for sure. I wasn't there. But they find themselves on the eastern side. And interestingly enough, this time instead of having water at their backs, they have water at their front. There's the promised land. There's the land God told us he would give us. We've sent spies there, and this time the report is different, right? This time, instead of saying, we'll never be able to do it, they're coming back and saying, they're all shaken in their boots because of you guys, because of us. God is surely going to give us the victory. And here stands a river. It's the River Jordan. And the text is very clear in Joshua chapter 3 that the River Jordan is at this time of year, which, by the way, is four days prior to, well, as, as we get in the story, four days prior to exactly 40 years after the first Passover in Egypt. And they're standing there, and the river at that stage, at that time of, of year, is overflowing. It's at flood stage. So don't picture in your minds, if you're going to use your imagination with me this morning, which I invite you to do so, don't picture in your mind that there's some little like stream that they have to cross. Or if we go upstream a bit or downstream a bit, we might find some place we can forge safely. For it says very clearly the water was overflowing its banks. Now if you're around water and you are unfamiliar with what it looks like underneath that water, then that's not a very good situation, right? Because water that, that's, that's flowing by like that, you can't just like look in and be like, oh, I can see where the bottom is. So I think maybe we could, like you have no idea, right? You have no idea. Now, if I'm going to use visuals this morning. So as you can tell, I have rocks sitting up here. So I'm going to use, so I, I don't mean anything by this, but for the sake of the story this morning, we here on this side are on the, I think I have it backwards actually. They were heading east into, and east is that direction, is it not? Sorry, guys. We here on this side are outside the promised land. We're outside the promised land. And we're looking into it, but there's a river in between us that's impassable at this moment. Despite knowing that God is saying, now's the time to go, and despite knowing that our spies have come back and said, now is the time to go. And in the middle of all that, the man that you have trusted, 
all these years that has spoken to you from God himself, that has been the representative, has led, in fact, I declare to you, has given you God's own words, his own laws and commands, that man is no longer with you. For he just died because he was part of that same generation that God said, you will not see the promised land, Moses. But your servant Moses, or your servant Joshua will lead the people. And on that side is where you want to get to. Now, God begins to talk to Joshua. As the mantle of leadership is passed down, God begins to talk to Joshua. And he tells Joshua, I want you to get everybody ready to travel. And as you travel, what I want you to do is I want you to take the priests who are going to carry the Ark of the Covenant, this, this Ark, this box that symbolizes my own presence. That is where my presence has been. It's where all the testimonies of who I am and what I've done on your behalf, they're all inside of there. And remember, we know for this from other stories coming down the road that you're not supposed to even touch this. That's how holy this box is. You have poles that you stick through the rings and you have priests who will bear that on their shoulders. And he said, I want you to send those priests and I want you to walk them down to the riverbank that's overflowing. And as they carry that down, as they get to the where the water starts to come up to their feet, then I want them to stand there. And as they stand with their feet wet, I will stop the water upstream. And when the water stops upstream, from the context of the story, we, we know that as the water stopped upstream and it began to dry, these priests walked in and they stood in the middle of the River Jordan. And as they're standing there and the water is way far upstream stopped and you have a nice dry riverbed, then I want you to take the children of Israel who are by now uh, have, have wandered through, and, and they're not the ones that walk through the Red Sea, right? You know that. Now they're going to have their own test as they walk through this river and go to the other side because this is where God is leading them. And as they go through, they're all going to go across. And even before it happened, God said, Joshua, I want you to appoint some men. I want you to appoint some men that when you cross through this river on dry ground, that they will go into the middle of the river and they will take rocks out of that river and they will take them out to the side where you're going to stay that night. So now in the promised land side and you should set up these rocks and make a memorial pillar. Make a pile of rocks that demonstrates that the Lord is our help. Gilgal. That's the name. Gilgal. Now, I don't know how much you get involved in stories like this in your head. I don't know how much you use your imagination or how much you see or think of yourself and how that would be. I can assure you, though I can't do anything about it, I can assure you that a retelling of a story and even a thinking about a story like that on a Sunday morning, even with visuals at hand, are nothing like being in a dry desert and seeing an overflowing river that's running down and saying, we're going to walk through that. And then to watch it take place. We did walk through that. That's exactly what happened. The Bible's clear. You read Joshua 3 and 4. The priests walked down. As they walked and stood in the edge of the river, God stopped the waters way upstream. The, the riverbed became dry. They walked across, and they got all the way across all of them got all the way across and Joshua looks at those men and he says, now I want you 12 to go back in that riverbed where the priests are still standing and I want you to each take a rock. So I, just to help our visual aids this morning, I think we should do that. I think we should, we should see ourselves as part of this transition, this passing of the faith. You yourselves are. I, I think it'd be nice to start, if I can do this, I think it'd be nice to start with the fathers who are gonna be bringing children up here later and then dedicating them. So um, I don't see Anthony sitting here anymore. He was sitting right over here a little bit ago. So Anthony, if you're within my earshot still, you want to come back in here? I, Isaac is sitting back there. Niall is sitting right here. And I am still missing, where am I missing someone still? Thank you, Tim. Sorry about that, Tim. I just stuck. Tim, would you guys wouldn't mind coming up here and selecting a rock from our riverbed and making a pile on the, 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 the promised land side? Pick a rock. Now, you know, it occurred to me that there's some, I'm not sure how this is going to work because I don't, like, I just have rocks here. I don't know how the pile's going to work. I don't know which, I mean, I'm assuming they would pick some bigger ones to start with and then some smaller ones later. 
But it also occurred to me that, you know, we didn't practice this, but neither did the children of Israel. They didn't do a dress rehearsal for crossing the Jordan. So find a rock, start making a pile, however you think that pile would have looked. I don't see Anthony coming up here. I don't, he, he must be being a good dad somewhere. Thanks, men. Which means I'm going to need nine more men. I would prefer to see fathers just because I think that's, that's, uh, that's the heartbeat of the story. So I'm not going to pick you. If I have nine fathers who would say this morning, I want to be part of building a memorial stone, would you, would you be willing to walk up here? I see one coming. I see two. I see three. I see four. I see five. I see six. I see, I think both of you, uh, Chris is standing up. I don't know if he's standing up for just letting out uh, uh, Ray, if you're standing up. I, I, there you go. I think we need, uh, it, it's fine. Come on up. We'll see. I don't want more than 12, though, because there's supposed to be 12. You got to make sure it's a pile, though, guys. You can't just make them around. You got to pile them up. Set your rocks. One, two, three. Oh, Aaron, top, Aaron. We got we to make a, a, a pile. Because the point of it is, of course, that someday, the instruction was given that someday your children are going to see a pile of stones somewhere. And they're going to ask, why is that a pile of stones there? Oh, no. Thank you for letting me know. Pray for Anthony and Nicole. I don't know if Anthony or Nicole or the kids got sick, but somebody got sick and they had to, okay, they had to leave. So pray for them so they won't be part of us this morning. There you go. All right. Now imagine, you guys are like on the wrong side. Do you want to come on this side? Sorry, I know it's, it's really just a story, but I'm a literalist. I'll wear that badge proudly. Some of these guys are still in the river. Right? You know, it's, water's coming back sometime. Right? Anyway, it do, doesn't really matter. What, what, <laughs> the point being, there's an entire nation over here now, and there's a pile of stones. Because somehow we have to commemorate, and somehow we have to give a hook to the next generation. Remember, this is about trans, transition, transmission, transmission of the gospel of the faith. Somehow we have to give a hook so that someday we have little boys or girls running around and they say, what is with this pile of rocks right here? And dad can say, let me tell you. Let me tell you about what God did. Let me tell you about what God did. Now, you guys can go sit down. Thanks for being willing to be part of my object lesson this morning. There's the story. There's what God was doing among them. And I'd like to take some time to just look at some specific things or observations that I would make from this kind of story of transition. As the you know how it's, we could keep on going with the story, right? I don't know if you know this or not. Like they, they camped at Gilgal. You know what the next thing is that Joshua did? Does anybody know what the next thing is Joshua did? Oh, yeah, circumcision. That's a painful word. That's the next thing Joshua did. Now listen, if you're about to embark on a big military campaign, I would suggest not circumcising all the males. But that's exactly what God did. Oh, that's what God had Joshua do. He did that. And then the next thing, four days after the crossing, they celebrated the Passover. And then God said, now it's time to go march around Jericho. And we know the rest of the story. You can read the rest of the story. I'd like to make a few observations this morning from the text that we read through, and just apply them to parents, to dad and mom, and what it's like. And we're going to have some parents come up here, but I would suggest to you, excuse me, if you are a parent or you think you might someday be a parent, these can also be applications or points for you. Now, in this story, the first thing I want to say to dad and mom as you're raising children and your intention is to pass along your faith is to give you the admonition that God himself gave to Joshua. Now, it's not in the chapters three or four, so maybe you can say I'm cheating a little bit. But three times in chapter one of Joshua, before this story takes place, three times God, uh, or Joshua hears these words. Twice it's from God, once it's from the people, his own people. Be strong and courageous. Parents, raising children is not for sissies. I would say raising children biblically is even more difficult. Hear the exhortation this morning to be strong and courageous. It's hard work. We were just having a conversation last night with my family. We were together, and, uh, and we were just having a conversation about some of the difficulties of when you have small children. My wife especially. 
She's like, when you have a, a small child, a baby, like I'm const- I remember just being constantly tired. I'm just always tired. The baby isn't sleeping well. There's always something. I'm just always tired. We talk about that. And my dear mother, who was part of the conversation, says, you know, there's an entirely different set of things though, that keep you awake at night than a baby crying when they're little when you have teenagers, right? Some of you know this all too well. It's still difficult. You still carry burdens. You still need to hear, be strong and courageous. Everything in the world around us is certainly going to press against us and not want us to raise our children biblically to pass along the faith. For if Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy away your life, he's certainly going to do it with your children too. Be strong and courageous. Step forward and say, if God gave me children, then he is expecting me to do something with it. You know, the other thing that came out of that conversation was a clear reminder that when we had our firstborn, when Laura was born, and we went home from the birthing center with her, and we were driving home in our minivan, and I remember Heidi and I looked at each other, and this may not be an exact quote, but something along the lines like this came out of my wife's mouth. I can't believe they let us leave with her. Because we have no idea what we're doing. What are we supposed to do with this little bundle that we don't, you know, by the way, if you're here and you don't have children, maybe you're not old enough yet or you don't have any, I also know very clearly, I thought I knew a lot about raising kids until I had some. There's something about that innocent newborn life and I suddenly knew I don't know anything about what to do. Be strong and courageous. If God gave you a child, then he intended you to be the one that can raise that child and teach them about Jesus and pass along your faith to them. There's no, to say otherwise is to uh, put a knock on God's sovereignty. Now, please don't write that backwards because I'm not telling you if God is not giving you children that you're not equipped. I don't mean that at all. Please don't do that. But certainly if you have children, you can rest assured God gave them to you. Be strong and courageous. The second thing I want to tell you out of this story is you have to know the word. You know, another again, I'm cheating again, but in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, well, let me just read it for you. In Joshua 1, verse 8, when God comes to Joshua, he says, oops, I'm still in First Thessalonians, my Bible. That's not going to work well. Joshua 1, verse 8, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Know the word. Did you know that the Bible actually says this? Did you know that this particular verse actually indicates to you and I that if we want to be prosperous and successful in our lives, we should meditate on God's word and do what it says. That's the recipe for success. That's the recipe for prosperity according to God. Not to make sure you go to the right school. Not to make sure that you get all your ducks in a row. Not to make sure, not that those things are wrong. Not to make sure that you, you know, are financially the most responsible you can be. That, again, nothing wrong with that. Not to make sure that you, that you do everything you can to get a leg up on the people that might be trying to get the same position you are. None of those things. But it actually says you should meditate on God's word and you should obey it. Now, I actually capitalized the word, word, because I think it goes a step beyond. That was written in the Old Testament. From the New Testament perspective, we would say, not just know this word, but know the word, capital W, that's behind this word. Know Jesus. You have to know him. You have to be filled with him. You will only be strong and courageous as you are filled in him. By the way, just a real obvious, blatant statement, right? Are you ready? This is like the most obvious thing in the world, but I'll say it still. You cannot pass along anything you do not have. You cannot lead your children to know Jesus if you do not know him yourself. You cannot pass along a faith that you don't yourself have. It's impossible. So you have to know the word if you're at all interested in passing along faith to your children. Know Jesus. Know the word. These are all tied together. I think you should proceed in faith. It takes a lot of faith to parent children. 
takes a ton of faith. If I would just quickly point out a few instances, you could probably find some more, but point out a few instances in this story that I shared about faith. Think about this. God gave Joshua instructions. Hey, tell the priest to take the ark and walk down to the water. And when they stand in it, then the water's going to stop up there. And then tell the people to get ready. They should actually be walking ready. They should be following after the ark already and expectation. And Joshua has to go to the people, to the priest first, and then the people and tell them that, right? Did you think about how much faith that takes? Hey, I'm telling you, I know there's a big raging river there, but as soon as the priests walk in there, it's going to stop. And I don't sound like a loony bin when I tell you that, right? There's faith there. But then understand the priests had to demonstrate faith too. Like they literally had to walk up to that raging river and put their feet in it and understand that when I do that, God is going to do something. Think about what this means. As parents, think about what this means. When God asks you to do some things and you say, you know, I'm going to say this to my kids and they're going to look at me like, are you serious? Or when I'm actually going to go forth and, and, and say, we're going to do this and I'm not really sure how it's going to work out, but I trust that when God asks me to do it, he's going to stand behind it and do something out of that. And then, of course, the people themselves had to walk down there. Now, I don't know. Do, do you, again, as you saw yourself do that, do you think they stepped in and looked up to see how far away the water was? I don't know if they did or not. But do you think you would have? Somewhere there's water stopped up there, right? I don't know how far away it is. It takes faith to walk through. It took faith for these men to walk back in. Like, I'm already across. I'm not going back there. But you know what? Even subtle things. You may be able to find more than, than, than I'm just illustrating. But even subtle things. Look at this pile. Where's this pile at? Like, like geographically, like literally. Not, it's not, I mean, not this one here because this is in Riverview. But like, where was their pile at? It was in enemy territory. And they were going to say to themselves, hey, listen to what I say. Like, when your children ask someday about what this pile of rocks means, then you tell them what God did. Has any of that happened yet? Is there any guarantee, according to our standards, is there any guarantee that that pile, that they're going to be anywhere close to that pile with their kids any, any, any time down in the future, right? It's still in enemy territory. You know that, right? It's still not, like they don't own this yet. So it took faith for them to build a pile and say, someday I'm going to talk to my kids about this pile. Because they had no clue, humanly speaking, they had no clue whether they're ever going to be around that pile again or it's going to belong to them at all. Right? You see what I'm trying to say? It takes faith to parent your children. Faith that when, again, I just gave an example. When God says, I think you should stop doing this or start doing this, no matter how much your kids don't want to do that, or no matter how much no other family in your neighborhood is doing that, no matter how much no other family in your church is doing that, that you say, God has led us to this, and I, I think we should do this. It takes faith to believe that if I will be vulnerable with my children and admit my mistakes and say I'm sorry, they will not, in fact, think less of me, but more of me. Because that's not how my brain works, humanly speaking. My brain wants to say, I, I want to tell my children I have it all together and then tell them what they should do. That way they have the authority. They'll, they'll respect me with the authority because I've got it all together. And you know, it's the exact opposite. It takes faith to believe that God's way is better. It takes faith to believe that all of the tens of hundreds of thousands of gaps that have developed in my wife and I parenting my children, our children, those, all those gaps will be covered by God. Like, I will do everything I can. This is not the first time my children are hearing this, but I will do everything I can, but my children sitting here know I make a lot of mistakes. We fail them. We make wrong decisions. We interpret things incorrectly. All those things happen, and we are not perfect parents. And it is by faith that my wife and I say, God is going to cover those gaps, and there are huge ones in our family. But I believe God is going to cover those. I believe God is going to take care of those. We see him do it all the time. We have children who respond in ways and we think, how did they know to do that? Because they don't see that in us. And I don't say that proudly. It takes faith to parent children and expect that when I do my human, meager, as good as I can, but far short of perfect job, that God is going to take that and make a child of God out of that. Clearly, the point of the story is this, right? We are to set up memorial stones. We're to give, we're going to, we're, we're to make opportunities that our children will ask, hey, what's that about? And it gives us an opportunity to talk about God, 
Remember the law and the testimony thing that was in, 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 in uh, Psalm 78 that I referred to at the very beginning? It takes conscientious, intentional decisions, parents, mom, dad, conscientious, intentional decisions to create points of your life. Now, they're probably not going to be literal stones, but points in your life where your children have opportunity to say, hey, why do we do this? Or what's this about? Or why do you say that that way? Or why do we read this? Or like, what happened there? And you can say, let me tell you about what God has done. Let me tell you about God and his salvation and his power. These are the words that Joshua said to them. He said, when you're Children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. Now, I would suggest you first and foremost, some of those stones should be about your own salvation experience. That you can tell your own children, this is how God called me to follow him. Because that's literally what this pile is. Like literally, that's what it is. God saving them. Bring them out. But there are lots of other opportunities to demonstrate or talk about God's goodness. And the reality is, I think most times as parents, we just skate through life. Even when we are aware ourselves of what God is doing, we forget that we have children that we're supposed to pass the faith along to. And we need to, be, we need to create opportunities for those conversations to happen. It's, I, I hate doing this because parenting is so hard already. This, but let's do the important things. And I think this is an important thing. It's not just enough that we, that I know what God has done for me. It's that I can talk to my children. It's the testimony of what he has done. Now, I've I got to say, I've got to make a small diversion this morning. If you, if you will let me make just a small diversion this morning, because a careful reading of Joshua chapter 4 illustrates something. Or uh, there's some debate about it. Let me just illustrate something. But I was going to say there's some debate about it. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 9, Verse 9 says this, this. It's in the middle of the story. The people have passed over. The men went back. They got their stones. They go back out, and it says they put them down there where they were going to rest that night. And then it says in verse 9, And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Have you ever read that verse before? Now, I will tell you that in the, I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again to you this morning. In the Hebrew language, which is what this was written in, there are far fewer words than there are in the English language. So you don't get all the connecting words. So sometimes that opens up room for debate in what is actually meant. So the case, I think, could be made that it's simply referring to the 12 stones that came out. I would tend to argue this morning to you that that would be a little redundant because verse 8 just said that the men took the stones out and set them up. So I don't know why it would say that. But I want to let you know, I, I, I'm not, like, I don't, I don't have, you know, I didn't inspire these to be written. So it's, I'm not the authority on them. I would encourage you to think for a moment, though, what happens when, if it's written like this, when Joshua actually went back in there with those men but instead of making a pile there, in the middle of the river, he made his own pile. He said, I'm going to take 12 stones, and I'm going to pile them up here, and I'm going to make my own pile in the middle of the river. One, two, three, four, five, six. As I'm doing this, you can let your brain think about what the implications of this might be. Seven. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. And he walks out of the river. The priests walk out of the river. What's the next thing that happens? The river starts flowing again. Now, why would you do that? Again, there's some debate about what would have happened. When the river flows, does it knock the pile over? Is it so small that the, the water is always covering so you can never see them? I heard, read plenty of commentators that said, actually, for most of the year, the River Jordan is not that raging river. Which means much of the year, actually, you would have a pile of rocks here, 
you're probably thinking bigger rocks. I mean, they probably had bigger rocks than we did this morning. Pile of rocks here and a pile of rocks here in the middle of the river. But think for a moment what it does, how the story changes. When your children come and ask you, what's with these rocks? How the story changes when there's two piles. Now, we can draw, I think, some theological connections, which for people who are like me and kind of nerdy, that's kind of fun to do. Moses was the lawgiver. Moses did not come through the water. The law is not enough to bring you into the promised land. Joshua, his successor, whose very name is Jesus. You know that, right? Joshua is a, is a form of Jesus. He is the one who brings the children of Israel into the promised land. There's a pile of rocks that represents Moses and his law, and there's a pile of rocks that represents Joshua and what God really is interested in doing. Even aside from that, though, if you're an Israelite person and your son or daughter asks you someday, what is this, what's with these rocks, Dad? You have to tell them, or you can tell them, when you have this pile and this pile, you can tell them the whole story, right? It adds a whole other complement to that story. When you have just this pile, you talk about the salvation of God, which is true. When you have both piles, some people didn't make it, right? There's a whole generation of Israelites represented in that pile that's covered over by water, which, by the way, water is one of, uh, in almost every case in, in, the, in the Bible, represents judgment, God's judgment. That pile got swept over with God's judgment. This pile is in the promised land. You see, there's a depth that fills in the story now, right? Because there is a wonderful reality. There's a wonderful reality that God so wonderfully and miraculously saves his people. But there's also the unfortunate, unsettling, but real reality that not everyone made it through. Not everyone crossed. Not everyone by faith went through the water that was parted. Some, when they did not trust in the right leader or did not follow the right leader or did not put themselves in the right place, some were swept over by the waters of God's judgment. And my son, that is exactly how it is with you. God has so wonderfully prepared a salvation for you. It's there. There is a Jesus, there is a Joshua who has made a way for you to go through. Who's, there's, there's Jesus who's standing there holding back God's judgment and, and giving you an access to the promised land. But you have to walk through that. And you have to know that there are people who will not walk through that. There are people who, when Jesus steps aside and God's judgment comes, will be overwhelmed in the flood. Is this not the story that our children need to hear? Is this not the story that our children need to hear? It's what I endeavor to do with my preaching all the time, is to present two things at once. The reality of judgment, that there's a king who you will stand before one day and give answer to, and the wonderful reality of the salvation that's available to you in Jesus Christ. These rock piles in this story of transition give just a built-in natural device for parents to tell their children that story. These are the kind of memorial stones you are to set up. You know, sometimes those stones in my life are actually times when I have to talk to my children about mistakes that I made, about things I did not do correctly. Why, why, why is it like this? Well, because this is, this is a choice I made and it was wrong and I'm suffering for it still. That's talking about this pile right here, right? That's talking about the impending or the reality of God's judgment. Well, I don't, these are not the kind of verses, or it's one verse, I'm not gonna make a theological case from it, so we're gonna move on. I, last thing I wanna say about this yet is though, I think parents, you and I, we should see ourselves as part of a bigger story. I didn't read to you the very last verse of the chapter, and I should, because as, they talk, as he talks about Joshua instructs them, this is what you're gonna tell your children. In verse 23, he goes on to say, 
For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So, I think one of your biggest overarching goals as parents is to make sure you see yourself as part of the bigger story so that your children will also see themselves. It's what keeps us from getting so self-focused. So like myopic in focus that it's just about me and children, it's just about the children and our own family and what we're doing. I'm just part of a bigger story. You see what, what they did here. They said, listen, we are connecting this very clearly for our children. We are telling them God brought us through this river just like God did a generation ago for other people. They're making sure that they see that the God of that generation was the God of this generation. You know, God identifies himself that way, right? As, as a generational God. How, I mean, all through the Old Testament, when he comes and calls the people of Israel, and every time after that, when he confirms it's him, what does he always say? I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Why does he say that? I think it's because he wants to, us to know that the true glory of who God is and what he's done for us is put on display when there is multi-generational faithfulness. When there's multiple generations that have said, I want to follow after this God. I want to give myself. That's why we're here today, is to say the best way for us to demonstrate that we believe in God and want to follow Jesus is to not just be satisfied that I do it, but that my children would do it and their children would do it and their children after them would do it. That God, I see myself as part of a bigger story. Like I'm passing along this faith, not just because, like, like just for me and for my, my immediate offspring, but for those that come beyond that, for those that come after that also. Now, having said all of that, I'd like to encourage you to expand your vision even much further than that. Because it's not even just about that you and your children and their children and your great-great-grandchildren down the road someday are going to follow Jesus. That's not, what is the last line that Joshua said to them? He said, we want you to tell your children about these piles of rocks and what they mean so that the whole earth would know that God, his hand is powerful and they would come to fear him. One of the, I believe, one of the greatest underrated tools of evangelism in our world is multi-generational faithfulness to God. It's families who instill in their children the faith, who instill in their children the faith, who instill in their children the faith. I think it's why it's so easy for us to forget. And we, I'll just speak for myself, and we give all of our attention to all the stuff out here, and we forget that our primary mission field is my children in my home. That if I can demonstrate to them and they catch the faith and they will do it for their children, that actually is a tool of missions. That people see something is in that family. I actually believe I'm part of a lineage like that. Which is an incredible thing. Not all of you are. But all of you are sitting here, which means you all can begin what you may not have been part of. See yourself in the bigger story. I'm passing my faith along to my children because not only do I believe that's actually what they need, and I want to share what I think is the best, most important for me with them, but I want to see it in future generations. I care about my further down the line offspring. But even bigger than that, I think in some crazy way, as I be, I'm strong and courageous and I know Jesus and operate based on what he's told me to do, and I proceed in faith in those things, and I set up these stones so I can have these kind of conversations, these weird conversations with my kids, I believe that in some way, God is going to do things that affect people who don't know Jesus yet in some far-flung areas I have no idea about. But I think it's what he's going to do. You understand when God called the people of Israel and they became his chosen people, it wasn't so that they could become this special group of people and everyone else in the world just can be forgotten. It was so that he called them so that they could be the vehicle by which he could put his glory and display to the rest of the world. It is no different for us, friends. God did not call you to be saved and to be, know Jesus Christ and to go to heaven with him forever just so that you can do that, so that you're somehow better or different than all the other people who aren't going to be there but so that you, and I would say by extension your family, and I would say by, by extension of that, that this church, the family of families, and by extension of that, the entire global church, but the point is the same, is we are a vehicle by which God will display his glory to all the people of the world.